We're going to start a new series today, so please open with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 1, and then later chapter 4. So open your Bibles with me to Luke 1. Please rise. I'm not going to have it up here. It's a rather long uh, passage. But we're going to first read Luke 1, verses 6 through 21. Listen well to the word of the Lord. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. When her two daughters-in-law left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried then? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women exclaimed, could this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now we're going to move ahead to chapter 4 and look at verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to God, who on this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Sorry, I always get a little emotional. And I read those verses. Just such good verses. There's a day 
about a decade or so ago, when my children were much, much smaller than they were now, and I left the room to go make a snack in the kitchen, and when I came back, I found Jeremiah and Ellie diligently, with much studiousness, taking ink pens and drawing all over the couch. And not just little scribbles. I'm talking those kids, you know, where kids do giant swirls. And I mean, it was, it was a weird modern art project, and they were very engrossed in it. Uh, I had been out of the room for about five minutes, so you can imagine how much trouble they had gotten into in five minutes. And I think I stood there for five minutes more, my mouth open, and all I was thinking in my head was, I'm going to have to throw out this couch. It was so bad. And then, I, and then, you know, clearer minds prevailed, and I went to the internet, and I typed in Google, I said, how do you get ink stains out of a couch? It turns out there's a way. You take hairspray, hairspray, and you spray it on the couch, and then you scrub it out with a little bit of a rag and a little bit of water, and lo and behold, it came out. I was as stunned as any man could be when things actually go right when he cleans. And so my, my wife came home from work that day, and I told her, I said, Joy, you'll never believe it. I mean, the couch was covered with ink stains, and I used some, I was so excited, I was like, I'm, I was a hero. I cleaned up the couch, and she's like, how did the kids get a hold of pens in the first place? <laughs> it's amazing how quick you can go from being a hero to a villain. I'm just saying. Couches are one thing, but what about when our lives get wrecked? What about when somebody comes metaphorically and just breaks us? Or a situation happens and tragedy strikes. When that happens, when we're broken down, when we're damaged and we try to look forward, we just can't see it. We're just looking forward. We say there's no way forward. It feels impossible. My life doesn't feel like there's hope. How can I go on when this has happened? my life has been this damaged. Well, what seems impossible for us, of course, is not impossible for God. And God says, let me come into your life. Let me take my master skills as a restorer. And I'm going to do something incredible in your life. You can't see it right now, but I can restore you. Just like how I restored a couch through my fumbling God can restore our lives if we trust Him. Today we're beginning this two-week series looking at Ruth. Ruth is an interesting book. I love the book of Ruth. It's short. That's the reason a lot of us love it. When you're a kid, you go, oh, what book? You know, Mom tells me I have to read a book of the Bible. I'm going right to the short ones, right to the punchy stories. But Ruth is interesting for a few reasons. One of the big reasons is because Ruth is structured a lot like a sandwich. Where at the beginning and the end... You have these accounts of Naomi, and right in the middle, you have Ruth. So really, it's a story of two women, and how God works through the lives of two women in an ancient society that would normally not give women the time of day. They were second-class citizens, and yet here they are, getting their own book of the Bible, two of the most incredible women of faith. And so I want to take one week to look at each of these women, and this week, I want to look at the bread of the sandwich. I want to look at Naomi. I want to look at a woman whose life was wrecked, and it was destroyed, and it was nothing. And I want to see what God did with that life. 
Well, the book of Ruth begins during the time of the judges. This, I, I never realized this until I grew up a little bit, that some books in the Bible take place during other books of the Bible. And so Ruth takes place during the time of Judges. And if you're not familiar with that book, all you need to really know was that the book of Judges took place before Israel had kings. And God said, well, you know, I'm going to rule directly over you through the priests. And the people said, that's good for a time. And then the people would inevitably wander away from God. They'd start worshiping other gods. They'd start inviting great sin into their lives and their culture. And so God would bring judgment upon them. And when God would bring judgment upon him, it was to get them to repent. And they would turn around and they would eventually repent, and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And so you had Samson, you had Gideon, and you had all these people. But Ruth takes place, starts out, during one of those times where Israel's become very faithless toward God. And so one of the judgments God brings down on the country is a famine. And so when, when food is scarce and you're looking and you're going, well, the grass is literally greener on the other side of the Dead Sea, that's where I'm going. And so Naomi's husband says, we're going to move. We're going to leave our hometown and we're going to go to this foreign country because at least they have food there. And so they pack up everything and they go over to the country of Moab. And while they're there, Ruth's sons, two sons here, go against the laws of God, and they marry pagan women. And God says the Jews were not to do this. They were to be holy. They were to be set apart. They were to be kept pure. And so they, he knew the danger was you start intermarrying, and those foreign gods start coming into the country, start polluting the minds. And this is, what, this is why he drew those lines, but Naomi's, daughters, or Naomi's sons did that anyway, and married Orpah, and Ruth. But for 10 years, it seemed like they had a pretty good life. This family unit lived together. They worshiped together. They started to worship God together. But then tragedy struck. And it wasn't just a little bit of tragedy. It was a whole lot. Do you ever notice that when tragedy hits us, sometimes it's just like all at once instead of nicely spread out? I really wish things were nicely spread out, but sometimes you get hit with a, a, a triple whammy, all within the short span of time. And here, Naomi's husband dies, and her two sons die, all with, relatively within the same amount of time. And she is broken. She is devastated. And what's worse is she's left without support in a foreign land. You have to really understand that if you're a woman back in this time, this era, that you had no real prospects to work on your own. You had no way to raise your own money. You had your own way to really uh, provide for your own household. So you needed a man. You needed somebody who would take care of you. And in this situation, she was left without any support system. If her husband died and she still had her sons, her sons would provide for her. But she didn't even have that. So these three women are actually all sit sitting there looking around at each other like, what can we do? What can we do? Her life, which was so full just 10 years ago, now was drained to the dregs. And she literally could just sit there and die. That was an option. She feels alone. Naomi's far from home. And she's grieving hard. In verse 20, we read here in chapter 1, verse 20, that she gives herself a new name. 
when she goes back. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. My life is bitter. This so, her life is so bitter, so saturated by grief that this is her new identity. I don't know if he can just do that. Just say, you know, everybody call me a new name. This is what I'm going through in my life. But names in the Bible usually have a meaning, and hers was bitter. And then she goes on the next verse, and she says, I'm empty. I'm empty. Have you ever felt empty? We've all felt empty. Where you are just, you're done. You've been wrung through situations. You've gone through a crucible. You've gone through a situation, or maybe many situations and trials in your life. You've been helping people and helping people and helping people, and you're just out. This last year, I think, has drained a lot of people. I think we've all, at various points, have gotten to emptiness in our lives. So when we've gotten there, maybe you can understand a little bit about where Naomi's coming from when she says, I'm empty. I'm just hollow. I'm walking around, but I, I don't know why. I'm just empty. And then she goes on and she says in the first chapter that in her mind, the reason for her pain is that she assumes God is punishing her. That she assumes she did something so grievous to God that God is bringing down His, His mighty punishment against her. And she says in verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In verse 21, the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Now I never, when somebody comes up to me and says, why did God allow this to happen in my life? Am I being punished? I never speak for God in this because I do not know. Sometimes God does bring calamity upon us to punish us. Sometimes He brings it to, for His glory. He, there's many reasons He allows suffering to go on in our life. Sometimes to grow our faith. But we know that when it tends to happen, we usually have a reaction and we lash out. We lash out against God and we say, it's all your fault. You're the one with the power. You're the one who could have made this not happen or made it happen in a way that I would have approved of. But it didn't, and so I'm mad at you. And we look up to God, and God looking back, he's like, but I still love you. I'm still here for you. And I still want to restore you. And for Naomi, her path to restoration started in the pit of suffering. It started as low down as you could possibly go, as helpless, as hopeless, as miserable as a human being could ever get. This is where her path to restoration started. But even then, God had not abandoned her. God was not against her. God may have allowed this to happen in her life, but he was not against her. And so she takes the only actions that really seem possible. She says, well, I've got nothing going for me here. I might as well go home. I might as well go back to my hometown, and maybe I'll starve there. Maybe somebody will feed me. I don't know, but I might as well go. So she starts heading back. But even in her pain, we see here in this book that God is present, and he is working carefully and painstakingly to restore her out of that suffering. Anybody's ever got, I want to, hands up right here. Who's gone through physical therapy? ever at a point in your life. Okay, then you can identify with the, the process of pain that physical therapy goes through. It's not pleasant. What's the, what's the phrase? They don't call it PT, physical therapy. What do they call it? 
physical torture, right? Yeah, I got, I got another round of physical torture ahead of me. And, and sometimes you're cursing the person who's putting you through that pain. Even though they mean well, and they're helping you get better, it's painful. It hurts. It's a process. It takes time. I visit a lot of people in the hospital. They're like, I want to get out of here. I want to go home. This, I don't, I'm not comfortable here. I I'm, I'm kind of have this mental anguish on top of everything else. And it's hard to be patient and go through a process of suffering, even if at the end result is something better. And this is where we can take a cue from Naomi. When we start our journey with God, when we're knocked down, when we're broken, when we're dealing with a situation in our life, that we can realize that God's still with us, He can still be for us, and He can still be working in our life, even in our suffering. So in her conversation, they have this bit of a conversation at the beginning of their road trip in Ruth 1, and we discover a few really important character traits about Naomi. The first is that even in the midst of her pain, she is looking out for the well-being of the people she cares for. She's a grandma. She's like, she's such a grandma. I love Naomi because she's all, you know, I, she's got that personality like she wants to take care of people. I don't know if you've ever met people like this where they might lose somebody in their life, like they just lost somebody, and the way they react to that is they start giving and they start caring. And they're, start, they're like there for everybody. Like through their pain to deal with that, they want to give and they want to care. It brings out their maternal or paternal instincts. And they're there for people. And Naomi is so much like that. She cares for these two women. She cares dearly. We see a lot of, lot of emotion. I'm not usually very comfortable if I step into a room and suddenly women are crying. And I'm like, oh, well, I'll come back a little later. I mean, they, but in a way, I was telling my daughter this one day. I said, I envy women because they feel so free to cry. And there's nothing wrong with crying. Sometimes that's a way to express joy and sometimes a way to express sorrow or just frustration in your life. But here they're crying, they're having a good cry session and she's caring for her daughters. And she says, I love you girls so much. You just need to go back home to your family. Go back home. They'll get you connected with a new husband. You'll be provided for. You can go back to your old life. That's really the best path forward. And we see Orpah takes her up on that, and Orpah leaves. But we also see, through Naomi, that she has shared her faith in such a way that Ruth will not leave her. I love Ruth's stubbornness. Ruth is, what does the Bible say? She's literally clinging to her. And I, I get this mental image of Naomi going, woman, go, go home. And she's like, I'm not leaving. I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you. Because there is no faith at all. Nobody back home worships God. I want to be with you because you've been teaching me about the Lord. And we see how in Ruth, she has this faith that undoubtedly sparked from Naomi and from Naomi's teaching. And this pagan woman has come to know the Lord. She's not a Jew. She wasn't brought up in a Jewish culture. She's a Gentile. She's what the New Testament called Gentile. And yet, faith is found through Naomi. And this is, this is such a great sign that the gospel isn't limited to just the right sort of people who have the right credentials. But it's limited to everybody. Anybody. And even though Naomi feels punished by God, she still acknowledges God as a sovereign Lord in her life, 
A Lord who has ordained all things. That even her situation isn't outside of God's control. She just doesn't really understand the why of this situation. She just, but she does understand that God is the one who caused it, and she's okay on some level with that. And she blesses her daughters-in-law in verses 8 and 9. She says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, your dead husbands and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So Naomi may be a very bitter woman, but she's not bitter really against God. And that is important because the road to her restoration goes right through her faith. As 1 Timothy 5.5 says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues day and night to pray and to ask God for help. When you ain't got anybody left, when nobody's coming to your aid, you still got God. You can still fall on Him. You can still have faith in Him. And you know that He'll be there for you. One night, there was a house that caught fire and the, the, most of the family got out of the, the burning building really quickly, except one boy was caught upstairs and the stairwell was on fire. So he ran out of his window and he got onto the, the ledge of the roof. And his dad came down and underneath him said, Son, I got you. Jump. I'll catch you. And at this point, this little boy starts getting really scared. He's like, Dad, I can't see you. There's just too much smoke and there's this ash coming up and there's the flames. I can't see you. I'm too scared. The dad says, But I can see you. Jump. It's all that matters. I'll get you. You can't see God in your pain. You can't see God in your tragedy. But God says, is there any better time to jump? Is there any time better time to put your faith in me? Because I've got you. You can't see the future, but guess who can? I can. Jump. Jesus never once in the Bible promised us that we would lead an easy life if we followed him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. But he did promise that when the bad times come, we can have faith to jump in his arms and we will be saved. We walk Naomi's path when we follow Jesus. We walk by faith and it takes us to restoration. I think it's important to note here as we study Ruth, and I encourage you, go back and read this book this week. It's, it's really great. As you're studying this, realize that after these two men, her two sons die, they're no longer legally bound together as family. They're no longer technically family anymore. They're just two strangers who happen to be living in the same house. This legal tie is severed. It leaves them to legally part ways. They have no further obligations toward each other. Yet something really incredible happens in chapter 1, which is against these odds, Ruth and Naomi stay as family. They choose to be family. They're not family by blood. They're no longer family by marriage. They look at each other and say, you my family? Yeah. You my family? Yeah. All right. That's it. We're family now. There's love here as the women weep in verse 9 and they vow to stay together in verse 10. And while, one of, while Orpah heads back home, Ruth does one of the most memorable declarations ever of what a family member should do here in chapter 1. And she says, do not urge me. 
Naomi, don't urge me anymore to leave you, to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything, but death parts me from you. That's family. I don't think I could add anything to increase the potency of Ruth's speech here. As a woman of faith, as a woman standing up and saying, I don't care what the future holds. I don't know any more than you do. But where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your God is now my God. And if you die, I'll die with you. That's family. Family is so important to us. And when we're on a path to restoration, we need family. We can't do this alone. And fortunately for us, God provides to each one of His believers a family. That's the church. He gives you a family. I don't care if you're an orphan. I don't care if you grew up in a Catholic family of like 15 kids. You got family in the church. And when you have a family, you have a support network. You have people who are here for you, to pray for you, to rush to you, to love you. And it's Christ who is at the center of the nucleus of our family, just as he was at the center of Ruth and Naomi's family. If you are in Christ, you are part of a very real family. Yesterday we were biking, and I took the kids on a bike trip, and we were coming home. Always how it is. You get right almost home, you had no incident, and that's when tragedy strikes. We're about half, a quarter mile from home, and Benji falls off his bike behind me. And I hear the cry go up. And before I can even get off my bike, Jeremiah and Ellie have jumped off their bikes and run right to him to see what they could do to help him. That's what family does. You see somebody in pain and you go, what can I do? What can I do to be there for you right now? The church does that. That's what we're here to do for each other, to encourage each other in our faith. But also, when we're hurt, when we're broken, when we're damaged, when we're empty and we're bitter, the church comes to each other and we say, what can we do for you? Because you got family and we're here for you. Now we're going to cheat here. We're going to bypass chapters 2 and 3. We're going to save that for next week and go straight to Ruth 4, verse 13. And I'm going to spoil the, the end of the story here, but the Bible's been out for a few years now, so I feel like it's okay. Statute of limitations has passed. I can spoil the ending of how Ruth goes. So on the other end of that sandwich here, Ruth 4.13, events have transpired so that Ruth, or I'm sorry, Naomi's foreign daughter-in-law has now found a new husband and God has given them a bouncing baby boy. And the community there in the little town of Bethlehem, it's weird how Bethlehem keeps showing up here, that community that received a while back a very bitter, empty, defeated woman, now embraces her. And they have this joyous proclamation, verses 14 and 15. They say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in all of Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to this child. Did you catch that? Who's the restorer of Naomi's life? It's not the community. It's not Ruth. 
It's not this child. Ultimately, it's God. God has worked to restore her life. She had not been forgotten. She had not been abandoned. Even when she was empty, God was getting ready to pour into her, to fill her back up again, to transform her from Mara to joy. The baby may be Ruth's baby, but I find it very fascinating that the focus here is that the blessing is all Naomi's. The real blessing is Naomi's. That the wounds of this past, there's still going to be wounds. You've lost somebody. You can heal from those wounds, but they'll still hurt. I'm sure the day she died, she still missed her husband. She still missed her and grieved over her son. But there was a healing there. And there was a fullness as God gave her something new to focus on. And a continuation of her family. And so Naomi took this child, put it on her lap, and started to teach him about the Lord started to raise him up in faith and started to raise up a child who would become, down the line, the ancestor of King David and the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ, the true Redeemer. I love when the community here says that the Lord has not left you this day without a Redeemer. That applies to us. It's like they're speaking to us. God has not left you without a Redeemer. You feel broken, it's very natural to say, well, God missed me somehow. That He left me without a way to be redeemed. But that's not what the Bible says. The Psalms actually tell us those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. That the Bible promises you, I don't care how hard you cry in your life, how much suffering, how much sorrow you go through. The end crop is going to be more joy than you can handle. And that's very hard to tell people when they're in the middle of the pain. And I never want to seem insensitive. And I know I don't want to feel that way when I've gone through pain and somebody comes up and says, well, God's working through all things for a purpose. But God has not left you without a Redeemer. God does use all things for a purpose. And your tears, He can take that defeat and turn it into a victory. He took Naomi's defeat and he turned it into such joy that when she looks back from heaven right now and she sees how God used her life to lead into David and to lead into Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world, the One who could take all the tears and turn them into joy. Would she regret a moment of the sorrow she went through? Not not a single moment. She would praise God and say, thank you, Lord, for that you use my life and that you bless me so much over. The same God who saw, oversaw the restoration of Naomi's life can do likewise for each one of us. He can walk that hard path with us. And it's not always a short path. It's not always an easy path. It's not a path that we can see the end of, but it can start in our suffering. It can go through our faith. It can be helped along by our family. And ultimately, it is guided by God. And that is what Naomi can teach us. She can take her damaged, broken life and hold it out to you and say, if I got through this, if God took this and turned it into that, what could He do for you? He will do something amazing for you. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we don't know the future that you have in store for our lives. We don't know how you can take our pain and our suffering and use it for good. But we pray that you do. We pray that you give us a reason in the future to praise you. We pray that you remind us right now that you are with us, that you strengthen our faith, that you help us look at the story of this incredible woman of faith and realize she never fell away from you. She never denounced you as her Lord. Lord, you're our God, and you know how broken and how hurt and how damaged we are. You know how deeply sin has wounded our lives, how our own choices and how the circumstances of the world have crashed in on us. And some days, Lord, it's just hard to keep going. We feel hollow. Pour yourself into us, Lord. Renew us. Renew a new spirit in us. Give us your joy and your peace. Help us to know, Lord, you're right there every step of the way. And all God's people said,